Um, turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 1 this evening. Acts chapter 1. A um, couple of key things there, even uh, before we get into, into the message. Uh, Pastor Mitchell talked there about some you know, specifics and, uh, and the way that things may have been done in, in times gone past. Um, he even mentioned the, the phrase... Um, and and I hope you understand. I'm not what I'm about to say. I'm not splitting hairs, and I'm not even being nitpicky. And if you say this phrase, I won't think uh, badly or poorly of you. I understand it's a phrase I've used myself uh, in the past, um, and that is the the term soul winning. Uh, it's a phrase that's used a grand total of one time in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs where if you understand dispensational theology very well, you'll understand that there was no soul winning as we're talking about it in modern times today. No one was getting saved by the gospel of the grace of God in the days of Solomon. And if you read that verse in its context, what we now call soul winning, um, that verse isn't talking about winning people to the Lord in its context. Uh, and what happens with that, if you're not careful with your terminology, you say, well, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be doing what the Bible says, which is witnessing. And they're very, whilst you can, you can use those terms interchangeably, if you're not careful, here's what happens. He talked, uh, Pastor Mitchell mentioned about how some of the churches, it's a, it's a technique and it's a method. Um, once you have something to the point of it being a technique and being a method, it's borderline on becoming a game at that point. And when you have games, you have winners and losers. <laughs> you say, what is all of that? What am I trying to get at? I'm trying to get at, if you, if you try and drum into a church, if you try and drum into a group of people that is, that it is their responsibility to be quote unquote winning, then if you try it and you don't, doesn't work out, then you're quote unquote losing. And that makes you a loser when what you've actually done is you've won by being obedient to what Jesus told you to do. He told you to witness, not to win. And that's what I'm going to be talking about. Now, I promise you, I promise you that the Bible also says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his seed with him. God said, His word shall not return unto him void. So we're not going out there to try, try and quote-unquote win people to the Lord, but I promise you, if you continue to do it, eventually someone will get saved. But if you never, ever go fishing, you will never, ever catch fish. But a poor fisherman becomes a good fisherman by continually trying. And that's what I'm going to try and do. I'm just going to try and encourage you to become... Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. And let's get into, into that this evening. Acts chapter 1 this evening. Acts chapter 1. We're going to read starting from verse 6 to verse 15. Let's uh, stand at this time as we read from Acts chapter 1 and verse number 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem 
and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We'll continue reading here in just a second, but I'm just going to pause this couple of weeks series on witnessing. By the way, tonight I'm not going to get much into techniques and the how-to. Tonight I'm going to, I want to get to the point tonight where you want to witness. One of the problems that we have nowadays is a lot of Christians, I talk very openly and honestly, a lot of Christians don't want to witness for a variety of reasons. Uh, I, I want you to leave here tonight saying that's something I want to do. I want to be part of that. That's my goal tonight. Uh, and the reason why I pause right there is this series that I'm teaching on witnessing by probably God's planning is going to be interrupted by our missions conference. That's not necessarily a coincidence. What's missions about? It's largely about to the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay? We like to give financially to support missions, right? And a lot of a missions conference is about that financial aspect. Let's see how much we're going to pledge in uh, faith promise for the year ahead. And we're going to give that money to the missionaries. And we're going to send them out to go out and win people to the Lord. See there, even I'm saying it. We're going to send them out to witness to, about the Lord throughout the world, right? And to a certain extent, what's happened in America today is that uh, the purpose of witnessing has been outsourced to professionals. And here's a, here's a saying and here's a truth I've learned in the world of business. And this saying applies in business. It applies in parenting. It applies in witnessing and that is there is a difference between these two words i'm about to say and one of them is the word accountability and the other word is the word responsibility you can give someone a task to do and make them responsible to do that task but at the end of the day there are some things that you will give an account for and the Bible actually uses that phrase where it says, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So you can outsource responsibility. You can give that to someone else and say, here, go do this. But you can never outsource accountability. And so we can give money to support missionaries so that they take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. But what about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria? speaking about ourselves, Jerusalem, you know what Jerusalem is? It was the heart and soul of every Jewish person. They loved and cared for Jerusalem. Jerusalem to us is where we are, where we live, where we love. It is our statesville. But when you think about Judea, that's the region surrounding. You might say Iredell County, or correctly pronounced Iredell County, right? I've even seen baseball caps with the letter I dropped off of the baseball cap. It just says Iredell um, we have a responsibility to reach the county. We're not just, I hope that we don't have that mindset of saying, uh, asking the people and say, uh, excuse me, can I talk to you about the Lord? Where do you live? Oh, you're from Mooresville. You're someone else's problem. <laughs> I, I would hope we wouldn't do that, right? It's Jerusalem, Judea, Judea, Samaria. You know what Samaritans were? They were half-breed Jewish people. They were undesirable. They weren't all that far away, but they were undesirable. 
without naming the demographics and the regions, there are even parts of our own town. You could say they're not that far away from us, but they're undesirable. We need to change that mindset in our hearts. You might say, I don't like some parts of our own town. Well, you'd like them a whole lot more if they got saved and started coming to church. We can't outsource accountability. And so he continues on, verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. Then they returned unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Watch this. With the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of names together were about an hundred and twenty. And that's where I'm going to pause. And You say that's a strange place to pause. It's only halfway through a statement there, but there's a reason why I'm pausing there in talking on this topic of witnessing. Let's have a word of prayer and then get straight into the message this evening. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask for your blessing upon this time now. Lord, I believe this is such a necessary thing. Lord, the time is short. And Lord, there may be some here tonight that think, well, I will start witnessing soon, but they may not realize how short the time is. Lord, I pray that tonight that you will get through to the people a burden, if nothing else, a burden for the souls of men. Lord, I pray that you'll also get through to them the fact that not only are the souls of men on the line, but also your glory. Lord, we don't need to wait to eternity to bring glory to you. We should be doing it now. And one of the, one of the most important ways we worship you is by being willing to speak about you to people that we don't even know or people we know are lost. Lord, I ask for your blessing on the preaching time now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated now. May the Lord bless that reading from his word. Um, I'm, uh, I'm not much of a poet, but I do appreciate good poetry. Anyone here appreciate good poetry? We got any fans of Rudyard Kipling? Kipling was great. Kipling was famous. If you said, what, what poem did Kipling do that, was very, that he was very famous for? What would be one that comes to mind? If. if. Yeah. And that is the answer. That's not, that's not him asking a question or anything like that. Um, you know, if you can keep your head when all men around you are losing theirs and so on, uh, and it ends with the phrase, um, um, yours is the world and all that's in it, and what's more, you'll be a man, my son. That's the very famous, to me, that's the very famous uh, poem of Kipling. But he wrote another one, and this one's a very simple one, and I haven't known all of this poem. I've just known a short part of this poem that was taught to me when I was at school. And it's, it's a poem that he wrote about how to learn. Okay? Some, some people find learning easy, right? Some people find learning to be very difficult. And here's, here's the poem that, um, he wrote called, 
I keep six honest serving men. I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. I send them over land and sea. I send them east and west. But after they have worked for me, I give them all a rest. I let them rest from nine till five, for I am busy then, as well as breakfast, lunch and tea, for they are hungry men. But different folk have different views. I know a person small. She keeps 10 million serving men who get no rest at all. She, do you know, anyone picking up what he's talking about there? He's got a daughter. He's got a daughter probably about the age of Verily. You know when kids are that, that inquisitive age, they're asking questions all the time? I know a person small, she keeps 10 million serving men who get no rest at all. She sends them abroad on her own affairs. From the second she opens her eyes, one million hows, two million wares, and seven million whys. Is that, is that a, is that a little kid? Every day. How are we going to do this? Where are we going to do this? A lot of the time it's when, when, and why, why, why. And sometimes it drives you up the wall, but that's how they learn. And one of the ways that we learn is by asking simple but important questions. And so on this topic of ye shall be witnesses, the best way that I know of addressing a topic like this is with those questions. What, when, where, how, who, and why? And the text that we have here tonight is a text that's going to help us address the question of who. The who should be witnesses. But before we do get into that this evening, I want to look at a few statistics. I was going to do something which you would all think was awkward. How many of you love to go to church? You go, oh, I go to church because they make me awkward. It's why I go. I love that, right? Okay, I, I was going to do that. And what I was going to do that was awkward was I was going to get, um, and I knew it would be so awkward you wouldn't want to do it with your eyes open. So I was going to get you to close your eyes and bow your heads at the beginning of the message rather than the end, which sounds weird, right? But you've got to remember, unlike you, I spent 40 years of my life upside down on the wrong side of the world, so we do everything backwards down under. Um, but the reason why I was going to get you to close your eyes and bow your head or close your head and bow your eyes or something like that, um, was I was going to ask a few questions that would otherwise be awkward. And the questions I was going to ask were along the lines of how many of you have, have led a soul to Christ within the last 12 months? That's an interesting question. I, I think it's an interesting question. I was going to ask how many of you have witnessed to someone with an attempt to lead someone to Christ within the last 12 months? And those are... Uh, are the sort of things people don't necessarily want to address that. But can I ask you this evening, with your eyes open, uh, to, to think that through right now. Have I won someone to the Lord within the last 12 months? And also ask yourself, have I been actively trying to witness to people within the last 12 months? If you're wondering... What's the situation like maybe within the church? The answer is I can't tell you now because we didn't do that awkward little exercise. But outside of the church, there are research groups that have done a lot of research into this. And I will ask you this one. 
because this one will be very interesting to see. How many of you got saved at or under the age of 14 years old? Have a look around while you still got your hands up there. Okay. How many of you got saved between 15 and 18 years old? That'll only be a small number of people just because that's a small. One, two, three, four. We got about four, five, five saved in that 15 to 18. How many of you got saved from 19 years old or beyond? 19 to eternity. Okay. That makes this church a statistical anomaly. There is a good number of people here who got saved after the age of 19, and that that is unusual uh, within the United States. Um, Of all of the research that's been done, the reason why I said age 14 or under, there are various groups that have done research into this. The lowest number I saw and the highest number I saw were both line ball and there was one in between. There was one that said 80, one that said 82, another one that said 83, and another one that said 85. Four separate research groups all came to the conclusion that of all of the people in America who are saved, somewhere between 80 and 85% of them got saved at age 14 or younger. Um, Nationwide, less than 1% of people, less than 1% of people who say that they're saved got saved after the age of 19. Nationwide. Depending on how you look at those numbers, it tells us a few different things. One, it tells us very, very clearly how incredibly important children's ministries are. Because mathematically speaking, if you haven't got them saved by the time they're 14 years old, you're going to struggle to get them saved after that. But it also tells me something else. And that is maybe part of the problem is that people don't even really try witnessing to those who are older than 19. That's part of the problem. We can change that if we try. Not enough is being done to witness to adults. If you wonder who witnesses, who witnesses to other people? Well, the same research groups did a bunch of research into this and the answer is less than 20% of Christians witness to other people. If less than 20% are witnessing, more than 80% 80 are not witnessing. Which is interesting because that's that's statistically speaking, that's a little less than the 100% who have been commanded by Jesus to do it. It means that 80% of Christians are in direct disobedience to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we wonder why our nation's in the mess that it's in. Why? Why? Of those 80% that don't witness, they ask and they say, why don't you witness? This one's not uh, in order. I've got the statistics on, on this, why people that don't witness, why they don't do it. The, the, I think, number one, mathematically, it's, it stands out from the rest, uh, and I think it's going to be fairly obvious. If I said, can anyone guess what's the number one reason given why people don't witness, what would it be? Fear. Fear. Fear is, fear is absolutely number one by, by quite a margin. 22% said, my primary reason why I don't witness is fear. 
which is sad because the Bible says God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Someone else is giving you the spirit of fear then. Someone else doesn't want you to witness. Are you going to listen to him? Fear is 22% of people said, I don't witness because I fear. 17%, get this, 17% of them are bold-faced liars because 17% of them said lack of opportunity. There's opportunity everywhere to witness. Everywhere. 10% said unequipped. No one's trained me how to, how to witness. Well, let's solve that one in the next couple of weeks. 9%, God bless these people for their honesty, lack of interest. 9% of people who are Christians said, I don't witness because I'm not interested in doing it. Now, I'm going to ask you people a question. How many of you got saved because you figured it all out for yourself? How many of you got saved because someone else witnessed to you? Someone else took an interest in you. Lack of interest. I got to tell you, I hope I don't run into anyone that says that. Because I'll be tempted to get in the flesh at that point. How could you say you're not interested when you know the consequences of not being born again? That, that's, that's galling that Christians could say, I wasn't interested. Well, what if someone wasn't interested in you? You would die and go to hell forever. 8% say rejection. I say that's completely understandable. No one enjoys rejection. Uh, 8% said hostility. Another 8% said, I'm too busy. And 4% said, I'm shy, which kind of goes along with the 22% who said fear. But 4% described it as shy. My goal uh, is not to be unrealistic and get to the point where 100% of you all go out there and be witnesses. I'm not unrealistic. But my goal is to get us from, I don't know where we are. I don't know if 20% of people at Temple Baptist Church witness or 40% or 50%. But whatever that number is, I would like to shift it a little higher. And in particular, you. I'd like to get you witnessing individually. You say, why? Because it's what you're supposed to do. It's also what Jesus is worthy of. Who shall be witnesses? Who shall be witnesses? Well, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 just simply said, ye. Jesus didn't name the 11 apostles, although certainly if you read the, the text and the context there, you'd say, well, he was speaking directly to the eleven. Um, and if you read Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, which is a parallel passage to this, it clearly actually says it was the 11 disciples. So some people may say that witnessing is the burden and the responsibility of the apostles. You see, if you want to split hairs, if you want to say, well, witnessing is just the responsibility of the full-time guys. No, if you want to go down that rabbit hole... The ye directly was 11 guys who are now dead. So I don't believe the ye applies directly and only to the 11 ye's who were there at then and that then and time, or else Christianity died out in the first century AD. 
Ye must be more than just the eleven. If you say, well, okay, good point. It was the people who came after them. Well, we're Baptists. We don't believe in apostolic succession. So if you say, well, I know that the people that came after them weren't apostles, but they were full-time professional ministers. It must be their responsibility to witness. And there's a problem with that. There were no full-time preachers in Matthew chapter 28, and there were no full-time preachers in Acts chapter 1, because there was no church, and because there was no church, no one was taking up the offering plate, and because no one was yet was taking up the offering plate, there was no income for them to be full-time guys. What came first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs> They were witnesses, and because they were witnesses, the Lord added to the church 3,000 souls on the first day. Very early on in the book of Acts, he gave them another 5,000. They had a church of about 8,000 people, and with all of those tithing people, then they could put full-time people into the ministry. I want you to understand tonight that witnessing is not the burden of the full-time employees. It's the burden of the common man. And that's why I read to you, and we stopped at verse 15, because verses 14 says it was with the women, and so it's for men and women to be witnesses, and the number of them were about 120. It was all of them who were to be witnesses. Witnessing, you say, what is witnessing? A witnessing, witnessing is for a person who's had a personal encounter with Jesus. A witness is someone who knows or sees anything. One personally present. That's what a witness is. A lost person can in theory tell someone about Jesus. Jesus is the, get this, doesn't matter whether liberals like this or not. Jesus is the single most studied man in history. He is. Even the liberal colleges study Jesus. So it's not like a lost person couldn't tell someone about Jesus, but they can't witness about Jesus because they can't say what he's done for them because he hasn't done anything for them if they haven't received him as Savior. And that's what witnessing is. It's telling someone what Jesus has done for you. Now you might say tonight, turn to Mark chapter 5, please. Mark chapter 5. You might say, well, I just feel like I'm not very trained in theology. People think, you know, I need to get a lot of training so that I can witness. One of the fears... One of the fears that people have about witnessing is someone's going to ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. That's a legitimate fear. You say, and and you say, ah, I've got a legitimate fear. I don't need to witness. Smoker, let me off the hook. No, I don't let you off the hook. As a Christian, are you supposed to be humble? Ah, here's how you deal with that question. I don't know the answer to your question, sir or ma'am. I feel bad that I don't know the the answer to your complicated question. But until such time as I do know, let's not worry about the complicated stuff. Let's worry about the simple stuff. Are you or are you not a sinner? 
Do you or do you not have a problem if you die as a sinner without Jesus Christ? Can I tell you more about what I do know rather than you and I worrying about what you don't know? Just be humble. Or use it as an opportunity and say, thank you for your wonderfully complex theological curveball. I would like you to come and meet Pastor Randy Mitchell who answers all of these. Right? Hey, I said witnessing wasn't for the professionals. I didn't say the curveballs weren't for the professionals. But just witness to people anyway. You don't need to know a whole lot. How many of you are familiar? Mark chapter 5 tells us the story of the maniac of Gadara. If ever there was a madman, if ever there was a person, people would say, there goes a lost cause. Don't waste your time with that one. Jesus wasted time with him. No, he didn't. Jesus invested time with him. Verse 18, and he gets, he gets everything right. Verse 15 says, when they came, they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid, And he wants to, um, verse 18 says, And when he was coming to the ship, that's Jesus coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go off to a Bible college, get a four-year degree, and is that what Jesus said? No. He said, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee and he departed and began to publish in decapolis how great things jesus had done for him and all men did marvel this is a man who in his life had less than 24 hours of theological training and he went and flipped his region upside down for jesus why Not because he was educated, but because he told them, I've had an encounter with Jesus. And by the way, if you know what the word decapolis means, deca being ten, polis being like a metropolis, a city, ten cities. He didn't just go to a small area, he went to ten cities and told everyone he could about Jesus. Can you do that much? Can you tell people, I don't know all of the theology, but I know what happened, bang, right in here, when I got saved. You ought to be able to do that. Witnessing is not for trained theological experts. You cannot be a bishop as a novice. The Bible says you're not allowed to become a pastor. You're not allowed to become a full-timer, right? As a novice. But Jesus told a not just any old novice, a less than 24 hours before he was a madman. Less than 24 hours before he was on the front lines, he was in the mosh pit at a Metallica concert and people were thinking, this guy's never getting born again. And 24 hours later, he's telling everyone in Decapolis about, hey, you wouldn't believe what Jesus did for me. You do not need to be an expert. Just tell people what he's done for you. Witnessing, 2 Kings chapter 5. You say, well, I'm too young to witness. Let's have a look at 2 Kings chapter 5. Second Kings 5 verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper 
And the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, uh, go to, go. And I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him 10,000, oh sorry, 10 talents of, of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment. You say, what is this? This is a little maid. Once again, no theological expert. She saw her master, who was a great man, had a problem. Leprosy. And she knew that there was a God in Israel who had a man of God, the prophet, and she said, man, I wish we could get Naaman to him because the prophet would fix him. You know what? You say, oh, that wasn't even particularly good theology. No, but you know the rest of the story, don't you? Naaman got healed. Why? Because a little child opened their mouth for the Lord. Can I tell you something about that little maid? She didn't have any fancy words. She didn't have any influence. She didn't have any power. But she had a ton of faith. She believed that God was able to work through the prophet and heal Naaman. Witnessing is not for those who are experts. It's not for those who have reached a certain age. And witnessing is not just for theological giants. Turn to John chapter 19, one of the most fun passages in the whole Bible. John chapter 19. I'd love to read the whole passage, but for the sake of time, we won't tonight. And I said John 19, and I've got it wrong completely. It's probably 9, but if it's not 9. Oh yes, John 9. There was a one there that did not belong. I grew up. I grew up my whole life with people saying the same thing. There's one here that does not belong. Um, um, John chapter 9 and uh, verse 13. It's the story of the blind man that Jesus had healed. And verse 13, they brought into the Pharisees, uh, they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he'd received his sight. And he said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes and I washed and do see. That's not complex theology, is it? Jesus made clay, he stuck it on my eyes and now I can see. And they didn't like that when he said that. And so verse 17, they say unto the blind man again, what sayest thou of him that he's opened thine eyes? He says, yeah, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son? Now verse 20 says, His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means, he now says, We know not. Or who hath opened his eyes? We know not. He's of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. 
He's a big boy. He wears long trousers now. Why don't you ask him what, how he got healed? But it says that they, look at verse 22. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. Isn't that funny? <laughs> Lovely parents. They feared the Jews. And we'll throw our son under the bus instead. Great parents. So they said, he's of age. Ask him. So verse 24, then again they called the man that was born blind and said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man's a sinner. I love this man's answer. Look, verse 25, he answered and said, whether it be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that whereas whereas I was blind, now I see. So you don't have to have all the answers to the complex stuff. This man's no theological rocket scientist at all. He says, I'll tell you what I do know. I know yesterday I couldn't see. I know today I can see. I know that this man called Jesus, he made some clay and he stuck it on my eyes and now I can see. I don't know how he did it. I don't know where he gets his magic clay from, but he made me see. And that's what witnessing is all about. Tell them what you do know. Don't sweat over what you don't know. And of course, they got all upset. They got all upset. Verse 28. Oh, sorry. Hang on. Verse 26. Then said they to him again, what did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Now he's sticking it. He's rubbing it into them now. Are you guys about to get born again? (laughs) And he's teasing them. Are you going to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, thou art his disciple, but we are most disciples we know that god spake unto moses as for this fellow we know not from whence he is the man answered and said to them why herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is and yet he's opened mine eyes he's like i can't believe how dumb you guys are can i tell you something witnessing can be fun this guy sounds like he's having the time of his life doesn't he He's like, you guys are, you guys are more born again than I am. <laughs> you guys are the ones telling me all this stuff. You guys must want to become his disciples. You've asked me to tell you the same story five times. Witnessing ought to be fun. And remember this, someone somewhere made an effort to witness to you, pass that gift on. Who needs to be witnessed to? Really quickly. This is not complicated. The son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost they are lost and it's a horrible horrible thing to be truly truly lost think about what it means to be lost it means i don't know where i am and i have no idea how to get to where i want to go that's what it means to be lost Second Corinthians chapter four talks about this. It says, in whom the God of this world, Satan, hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. We need to start seeing unsaved people as lost. It changes the way that you think about them. I talked to my Sunday school kids this morning. 
How many of you understand that society is turning our younger generation in particular, but the older generation are feeling free to join in with them now, and they're turning the world into a bunch of freaks? And it's real easy to look at them with disdain, even if you're saved, and look at them and go, that's a freak. No, that's a lost person. And they're that way because someone told them that it was okay to be that way. And someone told them that it would make them happy to be that way. And they're miserable. And they're lost. And Jesus said, look to the field. You think, oh, we can't reach those people. And Jesus looks at that and says, the field is white under harvest. They're lost. I heard a story once, and I don't even know if this story is true, but it's a great allegory if it's, if it's not true, about a shoe company that went to Africa to see if there was a business market there to sell shoes. And they sent one of their leading guys and he came back and he said, I don't think shoes are going to work out. Everyone runs around in the jungles with bare feet. And they sent another man out there and said, we're not sure if he's right or not. You go see what you can see. And that man came back the second time and he said, the market here is incredible. No one's got shoes yet. It all depends how you're looking at it. Okay, we look at some of the people around us today and say there's no chance of winning them and we ought to be looking at them and saying no one else has got to them. You know when you see those people you think, oh, I can't win that one. Can I tell you something about that person you look at like that? You know what that says? It says the Jehovah's Witnesses haven't got to this one yet. It says the Mormons haven't got to this one yet. It says the Seventh-day Adventists haven't got to this one yet because they don't let their people stay looking like that. They make their people dress up and look just like Christians, but they're not Christians. They're lost. So when you see the freaky ones, guess what? That one's ripe for the picking. They are. They're lost. And even the ones that don't look weird. Can I tell you something tonight? Americans are lost. Most of them are sad. Most of them are scared. Most of them are depressed. Most of them are confused. Most of them are fearful. Most of them are lacking purpose in their lives. And they've been sold a bill of lies by the world and the education system. And we sit in comfortable chairs with fluorescent lighting in an air conditioning building. And everything that they need is at your fingertips tonight. They're lost. You say, well, I don't know, sometimes here in Statesville it's the Bible Belt, uh, it's the buckle on the Bible Belt, and uh, I don't know, you know, if people are lost or saved. Then we're supposed to preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature. You can't assume that some people, because they look respectable, are saved. No one gets saved on account of looking respectable. Can I tell you something? The Pharisees and the Sadducees looked great when they left synagogue and went to the restaurant. They did. Who are we supposed to witness to? You witness to your relatives. You witness to your neighbors. You witness to your friends. You witness to your co-workers if you work a job. Witness to your classmates if you're at school. You say, I go to a Christian school. Witness to your classmates if you go to a Christian school. There's a ton of them that aren't saved. You say, how will I know? Easy. 
No saved person gets their nose bent out of shape and offended when you witness to them. You say, well, they say they're a Christian and they got offended. Then they're probably not a Christian. Witness to the Catholics, the Muslims, the Seventh-day Adventists, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Latter-day Saints, and yes, even witness to the Baptists. Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday said that hell is going to be so full of preachers, they'll be busting out the windows. And I believe that he was right on that. And just before I move on and get towards the end tonight, please consider this as well. They're lost. They need to know they're lost, but they don't need us to judge them for being lost. God called us to be witnesses, not lawyers. You're a witness, not a lawyer. Who do we witness about? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I talked a, a minute ago, quoted from that passage, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. This is the same passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse number, and this is, this is why, this is why witnessing, I said from the get-go, witnessing about Jesus is more important than quote-unquote soul winning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. For we preach not ourselves. We really don't. That's why we're able to get uh, once a month, why we're able to invite a group of like-minded churches together, get the men of those churches together and have them join with us to pray. Because we're not trying to build the kingdom of Temple Baptist Church. We preach not ourselves. We preach not Brother Randy Mitchell as the way of salvation. You say no one would do that. A lot of Christians are all about telling you, my church, this, my church, that, and they're not saying a whole lot about Jesus. My church, this, my church, that isn't going to save anybody. Particularly not if it's allegedly contemporary. Just remember about the contemporary church, it's a con and it is temporary. That's all you need to know about it. Um, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined where? In our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You should have a good testimony. You should have a great testimony. But your testimony and your witness are two different things. And our purpose is not to win anyone to our general level of awesomeness. That's not what we're trying to do. You say, why, why, do, why is it so important to have a clean-cut testimony? Because we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We don't want our earthen vessel to get in the way of the glorious light of the gospel of Christ. We do not witness about the Father. We do not witness about the Holy Spirit, which is, by the way, that is the grave error of the charismatic and Pentecostal movements. They want to tell people all about the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit before they ever get saved by the Son. It doesn't work. 
we preach Christ Jesus our Lord. Arturo Toscanini was one of the, and that's not, that's not an Italian pasta dish that you can get down at Sorrento's. He was a guy. Uh, he lived, uh, born in about 1867 or something like that, uh, Toscanini. Uh, he was one of the most acclaimed uh, musicians of the late 19th century and early 20th century. Uh, he was renowned as a man who was very intense. He was a perfectionist and had great attention to detail. Uh, one day while he was rehearsing a Beethoven uh, symphony with his orchestra, he stopped the symphony. Evidently, the perfectionist in him wasn't happy with the effort that they were putting in. And he, he stopped the symphony and he said this. He was com- the, the composer and he said, Gentlemen, he said, I am nothing. He said, you are nothing. Beethoven is everything. And when we get that mindset, I'm the preacher tonight. He's the pastor of the church. When we get that mindset and say, I as a preacher, I'm nothing. And he as the pastor of the church, he is nothing. And you as the congregation are nothing. But Jesus is everything. When you have that mindset, you will overcome your own objections to witnessing. He is everything. And the purpose of winning is not to win the lost. That's a bonus of witnessing. When, we, when that is our purpose, is our, if our purpose is to win the lost, then we make the lost the object of our efforts. The objects of our efforts is not to win the lost, although we do want to win the lost. The objects of our efforts is to make sure that everybody knows about how amazing Jesus Christ is and what he's done for them. And if they go away rejecting it, at least they rejected it knowing what the Bible said about Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the very next chapter, and I am wrapping up. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Do you know what an ambassador does? They represent their kingdom. That's what an ambassador does. They go into sometimes hostile territory and they tell everyone over there about how great it is back where they come from. That's what an ambassador for Christ is. And I'll come to more about that as we close. I want you to ask tonight the question, Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Acts 2, 37, you say, what's that? Men and brethren, what shall we do? Based on what I have preached to you about tonight, about witnessing, what should we do about it? I've literally told you almost nothing about how to witness to people. Hopefully, I'll get a chance to do that in coming weeks. Well, the first thing I would tell you tonight is get a burden for souls. You say, how do I get a burden for souls? Easy, you ask God to give you one. I promise you, you say, sometimes God doesn't answer my prayers. That's one he'll answer. You ask God to give you a burden for souls and he'll give you a burden for souls. He will. 
Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, uh, Paul, Paul said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. In Romans chapter 9, the previous chapter, he said in Romans chapter 9, uh, verse Two, he said, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. And then he goes on and just starts talking about them. Look, that's a burden for souls. Now he didn't say, I, he didn't say, I do wish. He said, I could wish. And of course, that's a prayer that God wasn't going to answer. God's not going to say, I'll let Paul go to hell so I can save Israel. God's already let his sinless son suffer to die to save Israel. But Paul had a burden for his people. If you ask God to give you a burden for souls, he'll answer that prayer. Secondly, you say, what can I do? Live like an ambassador. I already said an ambassador represents someone else's kingdom. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, hence else would my servants fight. The Bible says in Romans chapter 14, it says that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Do you know what we need to do if we want to witness to people? We need to be ambassadors of a kingdom that involves righteousness and peace and joy Can I tell you something? If you don't have peace, it's going to be real hard for you to be an effective witness. I don't want to scare anyone tonight, but right now they're talking about the possibility of war between China and Taiwan. You say, well, the rapture will happen first. Oh, you better hope it does. Because if war breaks out between China and Taiwan, the consequences for the world are not particularly good. You say, oh, yeah, that's really bad. Hey, you're not going to effectively witness to people if you're all freaked out about China and Taiwan. Because you're supposed to have peace, right? The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, correct? How can you represent a kingdom as an ambassador and say, our kingdom's great, we got peace. I'm terrified of China. If they invade Taiwan, we're gone, it's done. Biden's going to mess the whole thing up. He's messed everything else up. He's touched. I got no idea. I should... How are you going to witness without peace? We've got to have peace, correct? Because we're representing someone else's kingdom. That's what an ambassador does. Can I tell you also we need to have what? The third thing, righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, what I'm about to tell you, I'm not telling you to toot my own horn. I'm telling you, you can witness almost anywhere under almost any circumstances. There have been multiple times that this has happened to me. Once I was going up a very, very steep mountain in the mountains of Idaho. I did not know it at the time. I had COVID. Couldn't understand all day long why I wasn't running very good. Um, I was about you know, 25 miles into what was an attempt at a 100-mile race, which I didn't finish. And it was a horrible steep mountain. It's it's uh, Lake Creek. Uh, I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter. It was steep and it was horrible. And it was the hottest part of the day. It was about 85, 88 degrees, something like that. I'm using my running poles and I'm just trudging my way slowly up that mountain, suffering up that mountain. And there was two people uh, coming down the mountain and I was, you know, like in about 200th place out of 150 runners. I really wasn't going all that good. And you know what these two people that I'd never said? I'd never seen these two people before. 
and they said, considering what the weather is like and how steep this hill is, we've never seen anyone that looks like they're having as much fun as you have. What gives? And you know what I said to them as I was trudging up that mountain? I said, I'm not having a lot of fun. I said, but I know who made these mountains. And they're like, oh, that's incredible. Okay, have a nice day. And off they went and off I went. Joy. We're supposed to have joy about us as Christians, correct? That's good. That's a tool for witnessing if you have joy about you. You say, you say, when do we start this? Start now. Start now. Ask God to give you a burden for souls. Live like an ambassador. Live with peace. Live with joy. And until you know how to witness better, be willing to be a fool for Christ's sake. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake. Humble yourself and say, I'll accept it. I know of a preacher, he said some people are worried that if they witness, they'll say something wrong and it will make things worse. You can't make it worse. They're already lost. They're already on their way to hell. That preacher said, what are you going to do? Send them to the second hell? There is no second hell. Make a few mistakes along the way, but you'll learn by trying. Be a fool for Christ. Mark chapter 9, and this is the last verses we're going to look at tonight. Mark chapter 9. And as you're turning to Mark chapter 9, I would ask you, if you ask God to give you a burden for souls, then ask God to give you some specific people, not just souls in general, but some very specific people. Ask God to burden you about those people. And then you know what you should do? You should start praying for them. Start praying for them. And don't say, dear God, please send someone to Bob or Billy or whatever. Dear God, send me to them. Here am I, Lord, send who? Me. Mark chapter 9 and verse 23. There's this father who has a child and his child is devil-possessed. And things aren't going very good. And Mark chapter 9 verse 22, the father says, And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if, if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us anyone notice by the way the word compassion keeps coming up in all these passages that we look about at about witnessing we'll get to that in the next few weeks uh, jude talks about and if some have compassion making a difference compassion jesus uh, this man says to jesus if thou canst do anything have compassion on us and help us jesus said unto him if thou canst believe all things are possible to him that believeth and straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears lord i believe but then watch what he says next help thou mine unbelief you know what the principle is the principle is you know what you want to do you know what you need to do but you also know your humanity and frailty be honest with God about it in prayer. If you say, I want to be a witness, I don't even know if I can do this. Say, Lord, then why don't you pray just like that? Lord, I believe, but you've got to have to help my unbelief. Because this is something that just doesn't come natural to me. By the way, witnessing comes naturally to very few people. It's spiritual business. So if you're going to get good at it, it's going to need a lot of help from God. But it'll begin with prayer. I hope tonight you say you didn't tell us anything about how to witness. I know. 
There's no point trying to tell unburdened people how to do something that they're not interested in doing. I want you to be interested in doing. I want you to say, man, I want to witness. I want to see some people get saved. I want to tell some people about Jesus. I want you to have that burden to do it. And hopefully between now and next, when I'm talking about it next, hopefully some of you might be able to come back and say, hey, guess what? I tried and I fell flat on my face. But a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Make a mistake, keep going. Try again. You're not going to make things worse. I hope tonight you've got a burden, a burden for souls. And say, I I don't know whether I can do this or not, but I can at least try it.